Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870, predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. This sermon is for the third Sunday of Easter and is based on John chapter 10, verses 11 to 16. The grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, our gospel reading closes with the words, So there will be one flock, one shepherd. John 10, 16. Today, they are almost generally taken in Christian circles as a prophecy that the time will come when all heathen Jews and Muslims will be converted. Then, all will belong to the Christian church. Every human being will bow the knee before Christ. The Christian church will no longer be split by sects, and all denominational names will cease. All strife will end. All swords will be beaten into plowshares, all spears into pruning hooks. The peace will rule in our lands, and all sinners will be brothers in the unity of faith and love. Many also suppose that Christ himself will come again at the beginning of this golden age, take possession of the whole world, found a glorious kingdom, and rule visibly over his believers. This will last for a thousand years at the close of which the end of the world will come. The word of Christ, so there will be one flock, one shepherd, is of special comfort to many Christians in these most troublesome times, in these times of asking and seeking, conflict and strife. The hope of such a heaven on earth cheers thousands today. They say to those who do not want to share such a hope, do you not see that the promises are being fulfilled that the darkness which lies over the nations is lifting and the barriers erected between Christian congregations are falling? Do you not see that today the messengers of the gospel go out into all the world to preach the word of the kingdom? Do you not see how Christians, who formerly did not associate with one another, now desire to live in one church? Do you not therefore see that the prophecy, so there will be one flock, one shepherd, is being fulfilled? If the best explanation were always the one that agreed with the desires of the sweet dreams in our hearts, in apparently seeing a startling confirmation in what is occurring today, then they would be expounding that passage correctly. Whether we have found the true meaning of a passage is not decided by whether it agrees with our heart and experiences, but with the analogy of the Holy Scriptures. 
the opinion that Christians and the Christian church will triumph in the last times, and that the church, finally free of all strife and oppression, will become glorious and even here enter into her rest, disagrees with all of the Holy Scripture. It disagrees with those passages dealing with the nature of Christ's kingdom on earth, the hope of Christians in this world, the last times, and judgment day. According to the Holy Scripture, the kingdom of Christ on earth is a kingdom of the cross. His church is a militant church. It teaches that all who wish to live godly in Jesus Christ must suffer persecution and must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. It teaches that the flock of Christ is a small flock, that the majority go the broad way, and that few find the narrow way of Christ. It teaches that the life of the Christian here is hidden in God, and that it will first be revealed in the glory of heaven. The hope of the Christian should not be directed to this world, but to heaven. Christians should not be comforted by the hope that things will sometime become better on earth, but in heaven. They do not have the promised rest of this world, but in the world to come. The righteousness for which Christians should wait will not be on the old world, but under the new heavens, but on the new earth and under the new heavens. Nor will the last times be a time of glory, but of the greatest distress and universal apostasy. If the last days were not shortened, no person would be saved. The last days will be like the days before the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah. Scripture says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Luke 18.8 Whenever the Scriptures speak of that which is still to be expected before the end of the world, it does not comfort us by saying that the church must first appear in her glory, but it points out the opposite. St. Paul does not say, the day of Christ shall come, except the thousand-year kingdom come first, but unless the rebellion comes first, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. Nor dare a Christian ever be secure, because judgment day could come any second. You see that all these important articles of the Christian faith would be overthrown. We dare not understand that word of Christ, so there will be one flock, one shepherd, in such a way. We cannot hope for a glorious, glorious era for the Church of Christ. No, the Church of Christ will be and remain until the end of the world a kingdom of the cross and Christian cross-bearers who yearn for rest in the heavenly homeland. Yes, the nearer the end of all things comes, the more severe will be the battle facing the believers the more the little flock will be tested in the fire, the fire of the last afflictions and temptations. And finally, far be it from us that we should let the hope of a glorious kingdom of Christ on earth assure us. Then, in an unexpected hour, the day of Christ will take us like a snare and surprise all who live on earth. You wonder then, how that word of Christ is to be understood? So there will be one flock... One shepherd, hear now our text from John chapter 10, beginning at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. 
He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So far our text. The gospel just read says that Christ is the good shepherd. Christ himself mentions three proofs. First, he shows that he gives his life for the sheep. Second, he knows every one of his sheep. That is, he cares for, feeds, guides, and protects each one. And finally, he goes after the lost and wandering sheep and tries to bring them back to his flock. For he says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Let us today dwell especially on this last point of Christ's pastoral office. There shall be one fold and one shepherd. We seek one, the true meaning, and two, the correct application of these words. Christ says, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. In order to understand these words properly, we must go back into the times before Christ. That which Christ prophesied had not yet occurred. In the times before Christ, we find mankind divided into two flocks. The one group was the huge number of heathen nations who went to hell without the knowledge of salvation, without the promise, without hope, in short, without God. The other flock was the family of the patriarchs and finally the nation of Israel. God himself had elected them, revealed himself to them, instituted a covenant of grace with them, sent prophets to them. To them he had given his word and especially the promise of a Messiah, a Savior from sin, death, and hell. The huge number of heathen were like a flock that wandered about and languished in the desert of the world without a shepherd. On the other hand, Israel was a flock that was shepherded on the green pasture of God's word and was given to drink from the fresh waters of his promises. God's flock was also strictly separated from the heathen through a distinct descent, a distinct country, and a distinct law. Though before Christ's coming, there was a great and high dividing that separated God's flock from the rest, through his prophets, God revealed long before Christ's coming that this dividing wall would not last forever. In time, it would fall. The heathen would also share in the promised salvation, and thus there should be one flock and one shepherd. God had said to Abraham, In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Genesis twenty-two eighteen. Dying Jacob said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples. Genesis 49.10 David said in Psalm 72, speaking of the Messiah, May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. The prophecy in Isaiah 2 agrees with this. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up among the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. 
And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Finally, Zechariah chapter 9 promised of Christ, He shall speak to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. However, the prophets also declared that the Messiah would not turn the heathen into Jews. Rather, he will tear down the old dividing wall that existed between Jew and heathen. He will make one fold, the people of the new covenant. The prophet Jeremiah said of this time of the Messiah, In those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say, The ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. At that time Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord. Jeremiah 3, verses 16 and 17. The same prophet compared this, or confirmed this when he wrote, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Jeremiah 31, 31. In what this new covenant would consist, God stated through the prophet Ezekiel thus, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that they have scattered, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. Ezekiel 34. Now, if we compare these predictions of the prophets with Christ's word, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. The true understanding of Christ's words become clear. He really wishes to say, You see, I am the good shepherd whom the prophets have promised. Although I am sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, I am not sent for them alone. The whole sinful world is the flock, which I want to take to myself, and whose shepherd I want to be. Therefore, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. They are not the people of Israel, not of the Jewish church. They are the poor lost heathen who hitherto were outside the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the testament of promise. I must bring them also. I must open the barriers that have separated them from the people of God that they may come, and they will listen to my voice. I will have my word preached also to them, and they will accept it in faith. Hence, there will then be one flock, one shepherd. The former difference between Jews and heathen will cease, for I will build one church, which is no longer tied to one distinct nation, one distinct land, one distinct law. The whole world will be the ship of my church, and heaven will be her harbor. In all places, she will open her gates wide through baptism, and through her, the believers of all nations will enter as one people. You see, the promise of one flock and one shepherd will not go into fulfillment in the future. From the moment the Holy Spirit revealed to the disciples that God does not regard the person, but that in all nations, whoever fears God and does righteously is accepted, that the heathen must not first become Jews in order to belong to the people of God, 
that every person becomes a citizen with the saints and belongs to God's household through faith in Christ. When the apostles turned to the heathen and said, Come, for all things are now ready. When this call of God spread from land to land, when everywhere great crowds of heathen believed and were baptized, when in all places and corners of the earth Jews and Gentiles gathered in one spirit and one faith, when all tongues of the world praised God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, then had happened what the Good Shepherd had announced beforehand as the work that he had come to complete. Then he had attracted the other sheep that were not of the fold of the true Jewish church, They had heard his voice. There was one flock, one shepherd. No land, no river, no sea, no mountain, no language, no system, and no climate sets limits now to the elect flock of God. Through faith in Christ, millions of people from all nations, ages, peoples, and stations were now united into one congregation which is of one heart and one soul under the invisible Lord and head, Jesus Christ. And so we read, as the apostle writes to the Ephesians, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off and have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to one Spirit, to the Father. Ephesians chapter 2. He also writes in his letter to the Romans, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, verses 12 and 13. You see, that, that is the fulfillment of the promise. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Therefore, do not indulge in the enthusiastic hope that according to these words, there will still be a mass conversion to Christ before Judgment Day, a final complete union of all Christians, and that Christ will found a glorious kingdom on earth. Such a hope is not only grounded on human thought alone, it is also highly dangerous and harmful. It necessarily so blinds the eyes of Christians that he does not see the true condition of the church in these last days of affliction. It makes him uninterested in the difference between truth and error. It diverts the heart from the yearning for heaven and eternal life and draws it down to earth with its yearnings and hopes. And finally, it hinders the daily and hourly preparedness for death and judgment day. Now, after we have the true understanding of Christ's word, so there will be one flock, one shepherd, the question now arises, what is the true application of these words? Permit me, 
in the second place to answer that question. If it is Christ's will that all people gather into one flock, there cannot be two or more, but only one true church on earth. We really apply Christ's word correctly when we hold fast to the old apostolic faith. I believe in the one holy Christian church. We are to seek this one true church and remain with it. In our times especially, some cherish the delusion that there are many true churches. The different sects are only different divisions of the same church. Each has his truth only in a different way. Yes, today many go so far as to maintain that even the Christian religion is not the only saving faith, or that faith is of no value as long as as a person acts according to his conscience, loves his fellow man, and is upright and fair to all. He will then be saved no matter what he believes. Many preachers go so far as to misuse Bible passages to extenuate such terrible religious indifference. All these ruinous thoughts that undermine and overthrow religion and piety are judged and rejected through Christ's word. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. We see that Christ has only one fold, and that he is the only shepherd of the souls of men. If a person does not belong to that one fold and is not under the one shepherd, there is no second flock in which his soul can find pasture. His soul is like a poor lamb that disappeared from the flock, wandered about without a shepherd, without pasture, without water, and finally dies. He who has not entered the church is still not on the way to heaven, is still without hope, yes, without God in the world. Moreover, we correctly apply Christ's word, so there will be one flock, one shepherd, when we hold fast to the faith that the true church is united only to Christ and his holy word. Since Christ's word has already sounded to the ends of the earth, his church is to be found throughout the world. As many in our day falsely expand, the Church of Christ. Others, on the other hand, have falsely wished to limit it. The Roman Catholic Church ties the Church and salvation to Rome and the Roman bishop. She condemns all who do not want to be subject to his supreme power and the authority of his appointed bishops. On the other hand, sectarians bind the Church and salvation to their sects and customs, attitudes, works, and holy practices. They condemn all who do not want to be recast in the form of Christianity, that their sect considers the only true one. Christ's word, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also that they listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd, overturns all these barriers through which the church should be separated anew. Only one thing is necessary in order to belong to the one fold that will be saved, and this one thing is to listen to the voice of Christ, know him as the only shepherd of his soul, and remain with him. Hence, my dear hearers, you see that if you want to be saved, that is the only way. You, whoever you may be, are invited by Christ to go this way. Know that you have erred from God's fold through sin and are lost. Hear Christ the Good Shepherd calling to you in his word, I am the Good Shepherd, come to me, and he who comes to me I will not cast out. 
If you know that hitherto you have gone the wrong way, that of yourself you cannot seek and find the way to God and heaven, though you may be old or young, rich or poor, wise or simple, one who has merely made a false step or a deeply fallen sinner, yes, even if you were the greatest of all sinners, listen to the friendly, gracious voice of Christ, the Good Shepherd, and in faith come to him. You will then belong to the one fold under the one shepherd. Let the others go another way. You remain on the way that your shepherd leads you. You will be saved. Let the others pin their hopes on other things, on their works, on their sanctification, on their pious practices, struggles, and improvements, feelings, experiences, and the like. Pin your hope on your Lord Christ. Doing this, you will never be ashamed. Whoever is with Christ is in the true flock and the true church. His salvation is unshakably firm. Finally, we really apply Christ's words so there will be one flock, one shepherd, when we use our gifts, callings, and circumstances to see to it that the promise is fulfilled in our day. Although Christ has most gloriously fulfilled his word through his apostles, he does not want to stop fulfilling it as long as he prays for grace for the world. It is Christ's gracious will that his shepherd's voice resounds ever louder where countless hosts of unfortunate heathen still wander about without God and hope. He wants more and more to be led to the green pastures of his church and added to his blessed flock. It is also Christ's gracious will that the flock which has already answered his call be ever more closely united in him, and every hedge which Satan has built between sheep and his flock be broken down. And Christ wants to do that through those whose eyes he has opened to see the misery of the heathen. Oh, my dear hearers, recognize your holy calling in doing your part, so that evermore you may be called to Christ's flock. Diligently consider the unspeakable misery of the poor heathen in your prayers. Do not forget to support the great work through your generous gifts. Let the misery of all Christendom touch your heart. She should be a flock that rests peacefully about Christ the Good Shepherd. But look at her fold. Ah, it is a battlefield. What lack of union. What divisions and separations. How the majority of Christ's sheep today groan partly under mercenaries who do not pasture them, but only live opulently off of them. Partly under proud priests who rule harshly and sternly over them. Partly under heretics and false prophets who have come to them in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Do not think that any sacrifice that you must bring is too great. You must contribute something that the light which has been given us be placed on a candlestick to enlighten others. Perhaps many of our sincere brothers will then be rescued from the bonds in which they now groan, perhaps unknowingly. We must see to it that ever greater peace be in Christ Israel, that as it pleases the Lord, a friendly evening star will arise in this midnight hour, until finally the great shepherd of the sheep comes and will lead his triumphant flock into the heavenly fold. To that end, may he help us all for the sake of his eternal shepherd's faithfulness. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love 
of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works, Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. We thank you for tuning in, and we pray that God's Word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life. Nebraska.